0: All right, well, good morning, church. Hey, listen, if you are new here today and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Will, and I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at our church. And uh, today we are jumping into the second part of our series in the letter to the Ephesians. And in the section that we are jumping into, verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, we are well, not we, I am planning on being in these verses for at least three weeks, maybe four weeks, all right? So buckle up, strap in. We're gonna be spending a lot of time in this next section. Now, the reason for it, and the reason why we're gonna be spending so much time in this section is, one, what's the rush, right? Don't know why we're trying to get through books so quickly. But two, is this section that we are about to jump into, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, is considered by many to be one of the deepest and most profound passages in the entire Bible. And the reason why it's such a deep and profound passage and section of scripture is because in it, Paul is unpacking for us the glory of and the majesty and the sufficiency and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does right here at the beginning of this letter, starting in verse three, is he starts the letter by explaining to the Ephesians and as a result, explaining to us salvation. He's unpacking and explaining salvation to us from the divine perspective, from God's perspective. You know, so often when we think about salvation and someone asks us to talk about salvation, we go to John three sixteen, right? We go to verses that have to do with what we do in salvation. But what Paul does here is he talks to us about salvation and he doesn't start with us, he starts with God. Now, you may not notice this in the English language, but in the Greek, verse 3, all the way through verse 14, is one sentence. It's just one sentence. And we're going to see here in a second, uh, one commentator describes this sentence as a theological snowball that gets bigger and bigger as it goes downhill. One sentence in Greek, from verse 3 all the way through verse 14. Now, about this one sentence, uh, Dr. Kenneth West, who's one of my favorite greek scholars he says this he says the contents of verses 3 through 14 make one long sentence possibly he says the longest sentence of connected discourse in existence here we have some of the most important doctrinal words and profoundest and richest truths regarding what god has done for the saints in all the pauline writings now dr john stott in his commentary on ephesians says this he describes this section as a gateway a golden chain a kaleidoscope he's the one that uses the word or the phrase snowball a snowball a racehorse an operatic overture and the flight of an eagle he says all these metaphors in their different ways describe the impression of color movement and grandeur which the sentence makes on the reader's mind so we are stepping into what's easily one of the most beautiful one of the most profound passages in the entire Bible, not just the New Testament. So with all that said, if you haven't already, I would love for you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 6. 3 through 6. If you could please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, everyone say blessed, blessed, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, as we come before you this morning, I thank you for the privilege of unpacking your word. Lord, even this week as I was studying and preparing for this message, Lord, I was encouraged by the fact that many, many believers before us, there was one pastor who who started this back in 1548, preached 48 sermons on the letter to the Ephesians. Lord, the fact that this is the eternal word of God, blows my mind, that we get to unpack word for word, line by line, the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. Father, in light of that, we're going to be talking about some pretty controversial topics over the next couple of weeks. And so in light of that, I pray. I pray this every week, but specifically on a week like this, I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be honoring and glorifying to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, I know that all I bring to this process of preaching is imperfection and sin, and so I pray that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would enable me to rightly divide the word to show myself approved unto God. Lord, again, I pray that every week too, but if there's ever been a week where I I can fall into the trap of trying to be approved by man, it's this one. Lord, but ultimately, the approval that is needed has already been granted in the gospel. And so I pray, Father, that you would help me to preach on this very hard section of scripture for your approval and not the approval of the people in front of me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us open minds and soft hearts and allow us, Lord, to allow your word to speak in this moment. We ask it and we beg it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so we are about to embark on the longest sermon I've ever preached on in my life. I've ever preached in my life. Now, here's the thing. We're not going to go through the whole sermon just today, but I'm going to talk until I'm out of time and then I'm going to just stop because there's so much to cover here that I don't know if I will have the ability to put a nice bow on it today. We're gonna stop when the time is up and we're gonna pick it up next week. So if you leave offended, come back next week and I'll offend you again, all right? (laughs) So in this section, and again, the section I'm referring to is no longer three through 14. I'm just referring to three through six, which is the passage that we read we are going to look at and we're going to see the Father's role in salvation. You see, what's beautiful about what Jesus, sorry, what Paul does here, is that Paul, he's going to talk to us about Jesus, that's why I I just said Jesus, he's going to talk to us about the role that the Father plays in salvation, then he's going to talk to us about the role that the Son plays in salvation, and then he's gonna talk to us about the role that the Spirit plays in salvation. And for those of you who have been coming here for any amount of time, you know that when we define the gospel, we define the gospel as the good news concerning the finished work of the Trinity. So a few things there. The gospel is good news, not good advice. It's good news, right? It is an announcement, not advice. It is finished, not unfinished. It is a completed work, past tense. We're going to see how often the past tense is used here in this text. But the thing about the definition that we use is that I think we can minimize the gospel when we only focus on what the son did. But the reality is, is that the father played a role in our salvation. The the, the son plays a role in our salvation and the spirit plays a role in our salvation. And so over the next, however long we're in this text for the next year and a half, however long we're in this section, what we're going to see is we're going to see the role of the father, the role of the son and the role of the spirit. Because the gospel is the good news concerning the finished work of the Trinity. But all we're looking at today and next to this week and next week, the only thing we're looking at is we are looking at the father's role in salvation. And what we see in verses three through six is we see five actions and three motives. So there are five action verbs in this section alone. And this might surprise you, but none of the action verbs have anything to do with humanity. It's all God working. It's all God's initiative. So five actions and three motives. I'm going to give you all of them here on the front end. We probably will only cover two of the actions today. First action verb is that he blessed us. Second action is that he elected us. The third action is that he predestined us. The fourth action is that he adopted us. And the fifth action is that he graced us. Blessed, elected, predestined, adopted, and graced. Those are the, three, the, the five actions. Now, The three motives, according to the text, are his passion, his purpose, and his praise. His passion, his purpose, and his praise. We won't get to the motives until next week, but just want to give you the outline ahead of time. What Paul is doing here is Paul wants You and I, he wants the Ephesians, first of all, obviously, because he was writing to them. But he wants us as believers, because he actually prays this later on in Ephesians 3. He wants us to understand the breadth and the length and the height and the width of the love of God. So as we work through this, we will, Lord willing, see just that. Now, before we jump in, let me say this. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be discussing several controversial topics. Election, predestination, divine sovereignty, human responsibility. And it's funny that we're jumping into this section or into this book right after we just finished the In My Feelings series. Right? Because when it comes to these topics, there's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of emotions. Here's why. Because when it comes to these topics, not only are there emotions that we start to process internally, but we all have our own experiences as well. Our own experiences with God, our own experiences with salvation. And not only do we have our own emotions and our own experiences. We also have our own education. There are certain pastors and teachers that have poured into us and have taught us certain things. Right, so you have emotions in there, you have experiences in there, and you have education in there. Here's the thing that I've realized when it comes to these topics. Many Christians, when it comes to these topics of election and predestination, have never actually studied it themselves. Here's what they do. Depending on what denomination you're in, right? So if you're more uh, in the Pentecostal camp or you're more in the Baptist camp or you're more in the Presbyterian camp, here's here's the thing about denominations. There's there's good things about denominations, obviously. But one of the things that can be difficult is that when you're a part of of a denomination, it's almost like you go to the the car wash and you buy the whole package deal, right? So you're like, okay, what does this denomination believe about X, Y, and Z, whatever, whatever it is, I'm going to just purchase the whole deal because I'm, I'm, I'm this denomination. And so instead of wrestling with the text, we just say, well, what does that denomination say about this topic? It's like a Comcast deal, right? You call Comcast and you're trying to get cable and they sell you on internet and phone. This is how a lot of people are politically as well. We don't actually deal with individual issues. We just say, what do Republicans say about this? What do Democrats say about this? I'm going to just say whatever my team says. But what I want to do over the next few weeks is I want to actually look at each one of the words in the Bible, in this passage, word for word, in the Greek. And then we're going to look at where else in the Bible that word is used, and we're going to allow the Bible to speak for itself. So that the thing, get this, that, that, that motivates us and, 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 and leads us in this, this conversation that we will be having is not our experiences, is not our emotions, is not our Sunday school education, but it's the Exit Jesus of the Bible. Okay? Now let me also say this. In the past, when I've talked on topics like this, I have tended to put on my preacher hat my debater had. And I've gone into these conversations with, to be honest, arrogance in my heart, pridefully trying to convince people to agree with what I am trying to say. But here's what I've learned in 18 years of ministry, that only the Holy Spirit can do that. And because, Lord willing, I I believe that God's calling me to be the the pastor and shepherd of this church for the rest of my ministry. I want to approach this not as a guest preacher, but as your shepherd. I want to walk you through it. I want to pastor you through it. And I'm hoping that as we walk through this, this, this section of scripture, as we slow walk it and we dive into each word, relying on exegesis, not emotions or experiences, by the end, I want you to see that, that my intention with this conversation, with this discussion, is not to try to convince you to get into one camp or another camp. See, the older I get, the more I despise labels. I can't stand them. So even as I'm teaching, if you're going to try to label, oh, well, Will's an Arminian or Will's a Calvinist, I knew it. No, no, no. I do not accept those labels. I don't. I'm not trying to win you over to a theological camp. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says. Amen. Thank you. So, even if, get this, even if you end up in a different place than me theologically, get there because you did your own exit, Jesus, and not because you have emotions or experiences that tell you otherwise. If I will be known by anything is I want to be known as the Berean. Acts 17. says that everything that Paul said, they received it and then they examined it. That's what I need you to do. I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to take the Puritan's word for it. I don't want you to take uh, John Calvin's word for it. I don't want you to take Jacob Arminius' word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. So, with all that said, the first action verb is the word blessed. Blessed. Everyone say blessed. blessed. And we see that in verse three. He actually uses the, the variation of the word blessed three different times. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So just in this one verse, he brings up the word blessed three different times. So the first action that God takes is he blesses us. He blesses us. I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. When someone asks you to unpack salvation for them, hey, explain to me salvation. Like I said, many of us will go to John 3, 16. I would say that after this series, the place you should go to is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Because what we have here is what commentators call the greatest panoramic view of salvation in the entirety of the Bible. As a matter of fact, Dr. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on Ephesians, he says, Genesis is the book of beginnings. Matthew is the book of God's kingdom. Galatians is the book of gospel liberty. And he says, Ephesians is the book of gospel riches. And we know it because he brings up, like I said, the word blessed three times in one verse. The first time it's brought up, it's used to describe God as the giver. The next two times it's brought up, it is used to describe us as the receivers. So let's look at the first time it's brought up. It's used first to describe God. It says, blessed be the God and Father. That's how we know it's talking about the Father in the Trinity because he tells us it's the Father. He says, blessed be the God and Father. Here's the thing about this word blessed that we're looking at. Even though it's the same Greek word used three times, the way that it's used here, whenever it's used this way, it's only ever used to describe God. It's actually, the Greek word there is where we get the word eulogy for, from. It's used this way, this Greek word is used to describe God and God alone in the New Testament. So here's, here's what the word means. That first blessed, because of how it's written in Greek. It means and describes one who is worthy of praise. One who is worthy of commendation. One who is worthy to be adored and extolled. Now, don't miss where Paul starts. Again, we could read right past this, but I really want to make sure we're slow walking this and, and we're really starting to see when the Bible talks about salvation, it starts with divine, the divine initiative, not the human response, but with the divine initiative. So let me illustrate it to you this way because I think we need to understand this if we're going to appreciate the rest of what is happening here in this section. Dr. R.C. Sproul has this illustration that he uses in one of his books that that really jumped out to me and I think helps to to capture what Paul is trying to say here in this section. R.C. Sproul says that when it comes to our theology, we can start, in one of two places. And he says that where you start determines where you finish. Okay? Now, I'm not going to write these words out because you guys know how I am with spelling. So I'm going to just put T and A. Okay. Here's what Sproul says. When it comes to the doctrines of the Bible, specifically even the doctrine of salvation, Many Christians start not with theology, which is up here, they start with anthropology. Theology is the study of God, anthropology is the study of humanity. So, in other words, what he says is instead of starting with what the Bible says and starting with theology, what does God say about salvation? What a lot of Christians do is we start with how we've experienced it and my testimony and how I felt that day when I walked down the aisle and got teared up. We don't start with theology, with what God says about it. We start with anthropology, how we feel about it. He says where you start determines where you finish. So he says from here, from anthropology, what a lot of Christians do is then they start to determine their soteriology, which is their study of salvation. They come up with their ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. They, they come up with even their, we're going to talk about this next week, their harmatology, which is the study of sin. So, so they start with Anthropology. And then from there, they're like, okay, in light of my experience, in light of what uh, 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 self-help gurus say, in light of what business guys say, in light of what I see works in the landscape, then I will determine my ecclesiology. Then I will determine uh, uh, my soteriology. Some of people even with their eschatology. They don't start with the Bible. They start with, what, what do they see? Oh, I think that's the Antichrist right there. Yeah, it's got Antichrist written all over it. And what Sproul says is that where you start determines where you finish. If you start with how you, what you think about it or what you feel about it, instead of with what God says about it, you're going to end up in very different places. Does that make sense? So what does Paul do? Does Paul start with his testimony? Does Paul start with what was happening at the worship service when he got teared up? Does Paul start with what his discipler taught him back in the day? No, no, no. He he starts with God. Salvation starts with God. So that's the first blessed. The second blessed that he uses in the text is right there in verse three, but this time, instead of it describing the giver, it's now describing the receiver, right? Because he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first blessed. Then he says, who has blessed us in Christ, that, that second blessed, it's, it's, it's the same Greek word, but it's written slightly different. And what it means is, there in the original language, it means to receive benefits from someone. It means to have someone act kindly towards you, to speak well of you, to speak a benediction over you. Now, what's interesting about this word blessed is that it has an Old Testament backdrop. What I mean by that is this. When Paul uses this word, he's using the word as a Jewish man who grew up in Judaism. And and the opposite of blessed is, in the Old Testament, is to be declared cursed. In In other words, the word blessed here has nothing to do with your merit has nothing to do with your righteousness. It has nothing to do with what you bring to the table. It, it, it's a declaration. It is a verdict. It is a pronouncement that once it's made over you, it is a state that you find yourself in. See, I think in the world we live in, we, we, we treat blessing like something you can fall into and then fall out of, right? But no, no, that's not what the word bless here means. It is a declaration. It is a verdict, a pronouncement. And as a result of it, we are in a state of blessedness. Now, the other thing I want you to see, which is pretty obvious in English, but it's even more obvious in Greek, is that this word blessed, this second one, is in the aorist tense, which is the past tense. In Greek. In other words, the the blessedness that we experience in the gospel is already done, past tense. It is a pre planned blessedness. In other words, there's nothing, it's not like I'm waiting on the blessedness. I'm not worried about the blessedness. It's already past tense. I've been blessed in Christ, past tense. So let me summarize what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying that God the Father, the blessed one, became a blesser. The blessed one could have kept the blessing to himself, but in his grace and in his mercy, not because of anything he saw in us, we're going to get to that, but in his grace and in his mercy, the blessed one decided to become a blesser. That's what Paul is saying so that we might receive blessings james 1 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above he it, it says it's from above and it comes from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change that every good and perfect gift is from above and the greatest of those gifts is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that because the word there, spiritual, is something you can read right past, but it is so important. Again, we're going through this word by word. Okay? The word there, spiritual, is important because it doesn't say that He has blessed us with all blessings. No, no. He has blessed us with spiritual blessings. The word there, spiritual, in Greek, is the opposite of carnal, the opposite of material, and the opposite of physical. Literally, the, the, the way it's written, the word spiritual, the implication is, is that it is a gift from the Holy Spirit. That's why it's spiritual. It is from the Holy Spirit. So another way to put what Paul's saying here, another way to summarize it is that all blessings that are ours in the gospel are from the spirit it is from the father it is found in the son and it is given through the spirit why do i pause on that word spiritual because if the word spiritual there in greek means not carnal not material not physical then it flies in the face of the prosperity gospel The Joe Lowstein God has a blessing for you right around the corner of gospel. You Just got to speak it over yourself. Flies right in the face of it. Because according to this passage, the blessings that are given to us in the gospel are not carnal, are not material, and are not physical, they are spiritual. Listen, if the reason why you're following God is because you want him to give you a Mercedes one day, then your God isn't God. Your God is the Mercedes. Now, let me say this. Spiritual, though, even though it does refer to not carnal, material, physical, one commentator said this. Even though spiritual refers to the source of the blessing, it doesn't limit the extent of the blessing. In other words, that if I start to understand my, my spiritual blessings that are mine in Christ, the more I start to understand my inheritance in the gospel, the riches that are mine in Christ, the, the more that will impact how I parent, and the more that will impact how I do marriage, and the more that will impact how I handle my money, and the more that will impact how I make my plans. That, that's what he's saying there, that even though the, the, the source of it is spiritual, The extent of it is much more than spiritual because the gospel affects or should affect every area of your life. Now, here's what's beautiful about what Paul's saying here. If you guys go back to last week, one of the things we talked about is that Paul is writing to believers who were in the wealthiest city in that whole region. That because of the temple of Artemis, all the resources and currency was stored there in the temple. The temple was used as the bank of Asia. And so not only were there probably many wealthy people in the church of Ephesus, but even if they weren't wealthy themselves, they were living in a very affluent city. And what Paul is saying to them in light of how he starts this letter is that true riches and true wealth and true inheritance is not found horizontally in the world, but it is found vertically in the Lord. You know, that, that, here's why I struggle so much with prosperity gospel or even prosperity light, right? They, they won't go all the way to Joel Osteen territory, but, but if you follow God, he's going to bless you. Whatever. You know that when we read Hebrews 11 and we get the hall of faith, and then this person responded with faith, and God did this, and then that person responded with faith, and then God did that. You know that the whole back end of Hebrews 11 is a bunch of unknown people who were martyred for their faith? No one likes that part of Hebrews 11. The author of Hebrews doesn't even list them. He says, and then, and then they were murdered and they were killed and they were this and they were that. And he gives the list of all these things that were done to them. And yet they are just as blessed as Abraham was Amen. and just as blessed as Moses was. But hey, God's only blessings. If you follow God, he's just gonna bless you. Now what if his plan is not to bless you physically? What if, if, if his plan is to send you to some, 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 some country where you're going to be persecuted and martyred for your faith? Is God not faithful then? Is the gospel not sufficient then? Have you in any way lost the blessings and the inheritance that is yours in Christ? But how many of us, how many of us, in light of these spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus, how many of us are praying for things that are already ours in Christ? It says in Romans 5, verse 5, I love this. It says that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to take the love of God and to pour it out into our hearts. But how many of us will fall into the trap of thinking, man, if I go to church faithfully and if I read my Bible faithfully and if I give to this capital campaign, God's gonna love me more. No, no, no. All the love that you can possibly have is already yours in Christ Jesus. Because God loves you just as much as he loved his son. If you are in his son, he loves you just as much as he loved his son. And part of the role of the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 5 verse 5, is to pour said love into your heart so that you might be reminded of how much you are loved in the gospel. How many of us are praying not just for love, but we're asking God to to give us peace? We just want peace. John 14, verse 27 says, Jesus says, peace I give you, peace I leave with you. I've given you peace. You have peace. You don't got to go looking for peace. It's already yours. I have given you peace with God vertically. So now you get to experience the peace of God internally live in light of the peace that's already yours we've been blessed if you're coming here today to be blessed you don't get the gospel because we've been blessed past tense but not only do we ask for love and for peace but but how many of us are asking god for joy lord i just want joy please give me joy in John 15, when Jesus unpacks the the the, the 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 abiding in him in that section of abiding in him, he says, I am telling you these things so that your joy may be full. But how many of us are looking for joy in our circumstances? We're looking for joy in our finances, we're looking for joy in the relationships around us. And Jesus says, You can have joy right now, it's already yours. And not just joy, but you may be full of joy if you, if you remind yourself of the fact that you get to abide in the vine. How many of us are acting like, like branches that can produce fruit by ourselves and we've disconnected ourselves from the vine? So I live my entire life like a branch that's disconnected from the vine and I wonder why I don't, I'm not experiencing joy. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to live my life like a practical atheist until I need you. Until there's break glass in case of emergency time. What are we doing? In the gospel, we have love. In the gospel, we have peace. In the gospel, we have joy. Past tense. All those blessings are already yours. If you're not in Christ, none of them are yours. But if you are in Christ, all of them are yours. Past tense. Here's what I love about this. Is that here's essentially what, uh, uh, if you look at what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is that our resources, our riches in the gospel are not just promised, they're already possessed. God's not holding anything back from you. They're not just promised, which is good enough news. They're already possessed. They're already yours. But how often, I think of my own life, how often do I go about life living as if I am spiritually broke when the Bible says I'm spiritually rich? How often do I go into a work day? behaving like a spiritual orphan when I have already been adopted as a beloved child? How often do do we as Christians act like victims when Scripture says that in the gospel we are more than conquerors? How often do we go seeking for and looking for and searching for in the world what is already ours in the Lord? Now, here's the thing about this whole concept of spiritual blessings. In light of Matthew 5, verse 3, we've talked about Matthew 5, verse 3 so many times. In Matthew 5, verse 3, you have the the Beatitudes, right? And Jesus starts the, the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things that I said when we were working our way through the Sermon on the Mount is if you misunderstand the Beatitudes, you're going to misunderstand the rest of the sermon. Because many people treat the Beatitudes as this uh, religious ladder. And each Beatitude is another rung on that ladder. And I just got to keep climbing up. And if I get through each one, eventually I'm going to get to God and I'm going to be blessed. But even there, what you see is that Jesus is using the aorist tense. That either you are blessed, past tense, or not blessed, past tense. But he says, the first one, the first beatitude is the most important one. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we read that and we think, okay, I got to admit that I'm poor. I got to admit that I'm barely making it, that I need a financial financial assistance. Jesus is my Dave Ramsey. But did you know? And we, you should know if you've been here, that the word there for poor is the word for bankruptcy, complete destitution, complete helplessness. In other words, it's not like we like we're barely making it, and then Jesus, you know, uh, 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 infuses us with some cash. No, no, no. Is we are completely bankrupt. And it's only the person that can admit that they are completely bankrupt and bring absolutely nothing to the table that can then receive the riches and the inheritance that is in Christ. Amen. We're going to get deeper into that next week. Because, man, it's easy to like nod your head and be like, yeah, all right, brother, I'm with you on that. But, but next week, we're going to talk about what we bring to salvation And just as a preview, we bring absolutely nothing. The only thing we bring is our sin and our rebellion. Okay? But in order for us to understand what Paul is saying here, in Ephesians 1.3, we have to understand what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5.3, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you can't admit that you are spiritually destitute and bankrupt, you will not be able to receive the blessings and the inheritance and the wealth and the riches that is found in Christ. If I come to God with anything in my hands, I cannot receive what he has for me. Does that make sense? There's so much more I can say about that, but I'm using self-control. I'm going to stop. We'll talk about it next week. So here is what's beautiful about this word blessings. Again, we're still in verse 3 here. That it says that we get to experience spiritual blessings. Those who are in Christ have been blessed by God, and we get to experience spiritual blessings. But one of the reasons why I love the Greek language so much is because when you actually look at the individual words that are used in passages like this, you you start to get an idea of how truly blessed we are. Because that word here, blessings, that we get to participate in in Christ, is the same Greek word that is used in Revelation to describe the blessings that belong to Jesus and Jesus alone. So let me read it to you here. And honestly, we're only going to get through this first verb and then we'll call it a day. Look what it says in Revelation, chapter 5, verse 11. John says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders, uh, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This word right here, that only the Lamb is worthy of is the word that Paul uses when he says, we have been blessed in Christ. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. That's crazy. That that all of heaven is, is, is worshiping the lamb of God. And he's the only one who is worthy of power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That should be the whole story right there. Like the the revelation should be the whole Bible, no Genesis, no humanity. It should just be this. And yet because of grace, we get to experience and participate in the blessing that belongs to Jesus Christ. That's crazy. And then it says in in verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, same Greek word again, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever and ever. How crazy is it that? that, that when, when, when we do it, we get nothing. But when God does it, we get everything. And that we get to experience and we get to uh, uh, inherit. And right now, we have the, the blessings that belong to Jesus that only he is worthy of. Right now, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, You get to live in light of every single one of those blessings that you did nothing to get, and yet you get to live in light of. The gospel is so much better than we think it is. However good you think it is, it is so much better than you think it is. Then I'm going to end with this. The last part of the phrase is that he says, there in verse 3, he says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's that Greek word from Revelations. And then he tells us where it happens. It says, in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. The, the, the phrase there in Greek, it refers to a place that is not earth. That's literally what it means. It is, the the, the phrase there, heavenly places, it refers to the abode of God. Where God's presence is. It's, It's over the sun. We've been talking about over the last several months in Ecclesiastes, right, there's life under the sun. The heavenly places, it refers to life over the sun. So according to this passage, in light of the gospel, all of our spiritual blessings that we get to experience here and now are in the heavenly places. Our Savior is there. Our treasure is there. Our inheritance is there. And our citizenship is there. We get to experience those blessings here on earth, but they ultimately reside in heaven.
1: Amen, amen. Um, Welcome, Mission Church Online. Uh, Great to have you guys here. Great to see you guys here. Um, My name is Justin Dandridge, and I have my good friend.
2: Trey Stafford.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's so good to see you guys. Um, So welcome. Um, We always love to have you guys here. Um, yeah, Trey. If uh, is there a QR code above you as I, well? I think
2: so. There should be a QR code in this area.
1: Yes, you guys can scan that uh, if you want to communicate with us and in prayer requests. Uh, also, we have uh, the great Olivia moderating uh, today as well. Um, so please message her uh, about anything any questions from this great sermon that we got to yeah. uh, hear and experience as well. So. Uh, that's awesome. But yeah, we have some questions to go over. I'm so looking forward to it. I think the message was uh, so good. Uh, Definitely a boon uh, to my spirit, for
2: sure. Absolutely. And uh, today, as Will said, as we're embarking on this potentially year and a half long series. Two years, Trey. Okay, (laughs) well, it's going to keep extending and getting longer, and and we're glad to have you guys walk with us through it. We only have one verse to reread Mm -hmm. today, and that is Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it's Ephesians 1.3. Uh, it's great stuff. Yeah, it and is. And I guess my first question for you, Justin, is did God teach you anything new today or uh, and was there any mm-hmm. truth that was maybe comforting, convicting, or challenging in that?
1: Yeah, it was definitely comforting, um, just to know how Will broke it down of, uh, to know that God the Father is blessed, he's holy, he's ultimately good, and, and his um, just sovereignty and goodness chose to bless us. Yeah. Uh, and again, to where um, we talked about a lot of, uh, spiritual poverty, but not just spiritual poverty, but how we are rebellious against him. Yeah. So not only were we like, we weren't just neutral in you know, us, our relationship with God, like we were rebellious, we were, had enmity towards him, but he still choose, chose to bless us. Um, yeah. That's just so comforting. Uh, Cause again, there's so many times I wake up in the day and I can be neutral. And if I haven't had a certain amount of food in a certain amount of time, then back to rebellious, you know, because yeah. a bad attitude or what have you. But to know that um, the heirs of blessed is so true when we're in Christ mm. uh, and only in Christ. Um, so that by far uh, encouraged me. Yeah, that's very you, comforting
2: Dre? for sure. I think I uh, lean a little bit more on the convicting side mm-hmm. today. And one of the things that, that Will talked about, even just in the intro, uh, as we are going into these tough teachings, as Christ called them, uh, but talking about the Bereans mm-hmm. and when Paul and Silas were in Berea, the way that they received the teachings, and it says, and this is actually Acts 17, 11,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Ooh, throwing a little shade there. <laughs> uh, but then they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. Mm to see if these things were so, and, and how Will referenced the importance of what we're doing right now in walking through this book to the Ephesian church and how it's so important not only do we come on Sunday and do we listen to Will and our other pastors instruct us and teach us and, and walk exegetically through mm-hmm. these passages, but also that throughout the week we examine yeah. the scriptures daily and we spend time with the Lord and and make sure that these things are true that they were so as the Bereans did. What a great example yeah. we have
1: I love that we that church. are called to investigate and study yeah. the word. Uh, and Again, one of my favorite parts of what Will said today was like we don't take our denominations word for we don't take our political party's word forward or whoever yeah. but to take God uh for his word hmm. um for us to study and investigate it daily as uh church and desonica did uh it's, it's truly encouraging um Absolutely. so that's awesome yeah, yes so question for you um okay. why is spiritual poverty such a difficult concept for modern day westerners to embrace and why is this offense so offensive and shocking uh to people like us not modern era
2: yeah, I think poverty in general, probably, in our culture yeah. is, is a really hard topic, and I think uh, a lot of that stems, you know, culturally, we don't even have any idea how blessed we are mm-hmm. just to be here, mm-hmm. and how the poorest among us, maybe financially or materialistically, are, are amongst the wealthiest in the entire world. But on top of that, as uh, as Will referenced to Matthew 5, mm-hmm. verse 3... You know, being blessed—blessed uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, and yes. that that poor there, meaning bankrupt, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, being completely destitute—that mm-hmm. is where our our spirit was before God interceded yeah. on our behalf through he His Son us. and by the power mm-hmm. of His Spirit, and then blessed us with mm-hmm. these things. And so, I think it's so hard for us to to really even rationalize like how bankrupt and how destitute we actually were because our, our oftentimes our plumb line of (laughs) these things is so far swayed that we don't even, we don't even recognize it. I think that that's likely. And, and, you know, I think about, you know, in my personal walk in life, you know, I had no idea how mm-hmm. how much I needed God mm-hmm. and how everything that I had was from him and mm-hmm. it is all through his grace and even just the breath in our lungs and the breath of somebody who doesn't believe in him it, that that same breath is from his common grace right. that He showed to all of humanity just to be alive
1: yeah no it's so good and again going back to Matthew 5 love that he broke down what poor means of being bankrupt and destitute. And again, I think it's hard. I know for my proud heart, I think for everyone's proud heart to to be told that you are spiritually bankrupt, Mm -hmm. to be able to not provide any good thing in your own merit. That is very uh, challenging for everybody. And I think that uh, when we have spiritual pride, um, tonight we know that the Lord's word says that God opposes the proud, but mm. he blesses the humble. And again, yeah. it is us acknowledging that we are spiritually uh, broke or bankrupt. And in that acknowledgement, and that acknowledgement comes from him as well, mm. to where not only that we understand that we're broken and depraved, but also knowing that he gives us the gift of realizing and revealing himself to us to know like, we don't have to be stuck in poverty that we can be blessed in him for sure and again that's so awesome and encouraging to know that we you know have that option as well like we have him to allow us to be adopted by him as well so that is so awesome that's a little teaser for next week folks oh yeah we're we're gonna get there i can't wait it's coming
2: can't wait (laughs) justin uh in christ we as believers have been blessed mm-hmm. with every spiritual blessing. And you listed some of those just now. And these blessings aren't just promised, mm-hmm. but as Will said, they are already possessed. And as cri- Scripture confirms that, right? right? And so what are some of the spiritual blessings that have been granted for believers mm-hmm. in Christ?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. And um, I want to go to Second Corinthians 1 and read just verse 3 through six, because this is a passage that I was called to memorize, Okay, um, and it's just so encouraging because uh, so often we forget that we are blessed, that we are adopted, and that we have a identity crisis when it, when it comes down to us waking up in the morning, and we forget whose we are uh, and what we've been blessed with, but what's so cool with 2 Corinthians uh, 1, uh, verse 3, it starts pretty much the same as verse 3 in Ephesians, because again, Paul is right into the Corinthian church here. Uh, but it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in the affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Mm-hmm. Um, and just stopping right there to know and understand when I read that, it, it's not just a physical comfort, you know, it's not just a physical um blessing um, but it's ultimately knowing that in christ we have been comforted by him to know him and to be known by him as well and uh to know like again that prosperity gospel can be like he's going to give you a blessing he's going to give you that mercedes he's going to give you this house um but no we know that like the comfort that we're talking about is the comfort of being with him in his heavenly places and being blessed by him spiritually not just mm. um physically mm. So yeah. it is that was just so encouraging to me. Um but yeah, what about you? What is some a spiritual blessing that you know you may not feel like you have or know
2: you have? Yeah, yeah, I think uh you know talking through what we as believers receive. It's the mm-hmm. love, mm-hmm. the peace and the joy that come from the good news concerning the finished work. Mm-hmm of the Trinity, of all of God, right? Mm-hmm. All the persons of God working in perfect unity uh, for that. And what a blessing it is to be able to have joy by abiding in him, mm-hmm. by trusting in mm-hmm. him and putting our faith in him. And I think that's what we as believers are granted. And these things are, are absolutely blessings. Yes, for sure. Gotcha. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, um, next question
2: for you, Trey. So why don't Following from
1: the last question, why don't we as believers daily live in light of these blessings and privileges?
2: Yeah, I think uh, it all s- stems back to the concept of gospel amnesia. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. these blessings all come from the gospel, and when we don't live in light of them, it's mm-hmm. because we're forgetting it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so encouraged by. Uh, the community that we have here and the leadership that we have here with the staff and Mm -hmm. the pastors and the elders and the focus being so much on Mm -hmm. remembering the gospel and and being rooted in the gospel and through discipleship and ministry, Mm -hmm. sharing the gospel with the people that we come in contact with. And I I think that that is how we live in light of it. And I think Mm -hmm. that when we don't, because we're forgetting it. Uh And so with that being said, guys, we would love for you to join us if you're local and get in community so that we can come alongside you and remind each other because we need it too. Yes, definitely. We need that reminder for sure as well, but remind each other of the good news of Jesus Christ and a father Mm -hmm. who adopted us and Mm -hmm. loves us and a spirit who gives us such great power. Uh, to be able to do any any good work mm-hmm. because they all come from him. If you're not here locally, we would love to help you find a local church in your area. We are so thankful for those of you joining us mm-hmm. on, church, on uh, church online yeah I almost said on True, the line yeah. <laughs> but church online and, and so we would love to we love having you here mm-hmm. and this is such a great resource and a tool but there is no supplement for being in local community Mm -hmm. with your church. And so we would love to provide resources and recommendations if you're not in the Memphis area for some amazing churches and some amazing communities for you to be a part of. That being said, again, respond. If you have prayer requests, we'd love to come alongside you, pray with you, uh, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you guys.